This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out with us here as we continue to take a look around the SEC. Appreciate Zach Goodall uh, from Sports Illustrated joining us yesterday, taking a look at the Florida Gators. If you missed that, of course, you can find all of our shows uh, on wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube, ESPNCoastal.com, Spotify, Apple Podcast as well. But continuing our look uh, around the SEC, we're going to catch up with Travis Jadon uh, from Connect Savannah coming up on the show here in a little bit. But from Volunteer Country uh, on SI.com, Matt Ray, the publisher uh, over there, joins us here on ESPN Radio. Matt, it's crazy to think about it because it feels like uh, just a month or two ago we were watching Georgia win their first national championship since 1980. But here we sit, and, man, we're under 70 days to the start of college football. Yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. Recruiting dead period, fiction to kick in, and then all attention turns to the season for these coaches. So it's it's good to have it back. And I know this is the time of the year where we all start looking ahead towards SEC media days, and of course, you covering uh, the Volunteers there very closely. What do you think are the biggest storylines around Tennessee as we head into the 2022 season, uh, second year there under Josh Heupel? Well, for the first time in a long time at Tennessee, the storyline going into fall camp isn't going to revolve around the quarterback position. You know, Hendon Hooker has settled into that role and, and will be the guy going forward, but off of that, it's going to be who's protecting his blind side at left tackle. Now, Tennessee has plenty of options there. Darnell um, Wright is a guy that they really trust, but they'd like to keep him on the right side of the offensive line. So you're going to look at a position battle going into fall camp. That really went on during spring, and guys are going to continue to try to separate themselves there. But Florida transfer Gerald Mincy very much in the mix. Uh, former junior college prospect Jeremiah Crawford in the mix, and Dane Davis, longtime Tennessee ball, in the mix there for that left tackle position. That's going to be a real focal point for the Tennessee offense and what they can do you know, this season and trying to take another step forward from the early success that they had under Josh Hopple in year one. Offensively, that's probably really the biggest storyline. Uh, they bring back a lot of experience, brought in some young guys. Um, they lost some receivers with, with Valus Jones going to the league, Javante Payton, um, you know, out due to eligibility um, running out. But they bring in some guys that should be able to fill in nicely around Cedric Tillman. They've got Jalen Hott coming back who stepped up in a big way this offseason and is expected to slot in as the number two guy for them, along with USC transfer Brew McCoy who – a former five-star prospect, you know, top ten prospect nationally coming out of high school, but it's just had some unfortunate events around his career that's led him to Texas, USC, and now to Tennessee. You know, he's a guy that physically can do so many things that Tennessee wants in an offense. So you expect to see him, you know, get a chance to showcase his talent. So Tennessee's receiving core, you know, one that when you looked at it at the end of last year, you thought, you know, they're going to lose some guys, and there was uncertainty about if Cedric Tillman would come back or, you know, go to the NFL, but he ultimately came back and, and Tennessee's been able to to have some guys step up and bring in a guy like Brew McCoy to to build a solid receiving core around him. Um, and defensively it comes down to one what what can the defensive line do? A lot of promising talent there. Um, but more importantly behind them is who's gonna be that second linebacker along with Jeremy Banks. Jeremy Banks had a phenomenal you know, season last year, and in a normal year, he you know would have you know 
probably been closer to an all-SEC guy, but when you had some of the guys patrolling the middle of the defenses, like Nicobe Dean at Georgia and you know, Henry T. at Alabama, and it, it was pretty tough to, to go up against those guys. But Jeremy Banks will be back in the middle of Tennessee's defense. It'll be who his running mate is. It'll be the focal point of the defense, uh, defensive storylines in our opinion. You have uh, Jawan Mitchell, the Texas transfer, who Tennessee was so high on coming into last season, got hurt in the second game of the season and did not return. And then you have Aaron Beasley, who filled in for him but played on a pretty bum ankle uh, down the second half of the season. So he had promising flashes early on. So, you know, I have to think it'll be one of those two guys that's, you know, alongside Jeremy Banks, but still a big question mark there because Tennessee needs both of those inside linebackers to be efficient. Man, I know if you go back and look, right, it's just a cursory glance and you're like, oh, okay, Tennessee was 7-6 and six last year, right? there. About a 500 football team. They went to a bowl game, lost to Purdue. Probably not much to expect out of the Volunteers coming into 2022. But if you go back and look, right, you are a, a touchdown away uh, from beating the ACC champion there in the second week of the season. That was really the week where, as you mentioned, that the quarterback situation kind of got solidified, right? Joe Milton was the guy to start the season. He misses a bunch of wide-open throws, wide-open touchdowns uh, in that game there against Pittsburgh. And then... You have Hendon Hooker come in, and the offense kind of takes off, but you do end up again losing to the eventual ACC champs. Uh, and then you go throughout the season. You have the one big loss to Florida, where I would say it's probably the worst game Tennessee played all year. But outside of that, it was either one-score ball games or games where you were in it until the fourth quarter, and then just the better teams, the deeper teams kind of separated. So I don't know that 7-6 and six really tells the whole story about how good of a coaching job Josh Heupel did last year with the Volunteers? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I think I think if you ask anyone around Tennessee, they'll tell you that Florida game was a you know game that got away from them. And if, if it was one they had later in the season, you have to feel like they end up beating Florida. But you play them when you play them, and and that was a pretty big moment for that Tennessee team. We've seen Tennessee teams in the past go to Florida and not do what they're supposed to do, and then completely crumble. And uh, that Tennessee team just went on to, you know, kind of rebound, come back and put 62 points on Missouri. Um, had a 38 to seven lead over South Carolina. Eventually, beat down 45 to 20, and then played, you know, a gauntlet in the middle of the season in Ole Miss, Alabama, Kentucky, in Georgia before finishing out the season with South Alabama and Vanderbilt. But you know, Tennessee was so limited last year on scholarship numbers as well. It was, you know, you had you had so many starters playing special teams and just trying to do so many different things for that team. I mean, for for the last half of the season, they stayed with the exact same three guys in the wide receiver rotation. It was, you know, I wouldn't say rare, but it wasn't that often, especially early in the game, that you ever saw a, a guy break into that receiver rotation. They were just limited in numbers. It was a pretty Pretty impressive coaching, you know, performance from Josh Hopple and that staff. And, you know, they'll look to take another step here in year two as they have added pieces and, and have more depth and some young guys they trust and you know, really love their evaluation of during the recruiting process. Now, I know Tennessee, we're talking about it, right? It feels like it's on the upward trajectory right now, but there's two pretty big streaks right now that Tennessee's trying to get over, Alabama uh, and Georgia. And, of course, most teams – are going to lose to those two schools, but those are two games that you know are going to be on the schedule every single year. Does 
what, what's the feeling like around the program that, hey, maybe we can end one of those streaks this year? You know, I think when you look back at both those games, for the longest time, um, Tennessee, you know, played with Alabama. They they had that game in the, you know, fourth quarter within striking distance. And then, like you said earlier, they separated. Georgia, if I remember correctly, 17-17 halftime. You know, I think for, for Tennessee, there's some hope that with what you do offensively that you gave both of those, you know, teams with very stout defenses – trouble at times last year. I think this year the hope is that you can string that together more consistently and have a chance to take those games even deeper, you know, maybe a one-possession game under five minutes, you know, and, and have a chance to, to win one of those ball games. For, for Tennessee, you, know, you have Alabama coming to Knoxville, and, you know, that's what, what more can you ask for? You're going you're gonna to struggle against what, you know, Bryce Young does and, the, the receivers that Alabama's thrown in with him and couple that with a Jameer Gibbs coming over from Georgia Tech. I feel like, for me, that's a, a tough mismatch for Tennessee because you can get behind the eight ball there a little bit more um, if you if you have a few three and outs. It's, it's crazy as it seems it, it might be that Alabama's offense is even better than it was last year. Um, and then with Georgia, you know, you have to think that with what they lost, they take a step back defensively. But, I mean, people are still going to have to see it to believe it. Kirby Smart continues to reload that defense time and time again. Um, obviously, they lost a tremendous amount of production to the draft, and that's a testament to what they have built there in Athens. But Tennessee seems to always play a little bit better going to Athens. You know, during the COVID game, had you know some weird things go on, had a lead at halftime a couple of years ago. So, I, you know, I think Tennessee feels optimistic, you know, that they have a chance to go in and beat anybody on their schedule this year as they've got deeper, but, you know, the SEC is the SEC, and it's it's tough for a reason. So we'll see what happens when those weeks roll around. Yeah, Georgia fans still having nightmares about Josh Dobb when he came down uh, to Sanford Stadium there. We're catching up with Matt Ray. He is the publisher for Volunteer Country there on SI.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore Ray underscore two underscores uh, in there in that Twitter handle. Uh, but, Matt, I know a lot of times – Big-name offensive coaches will come into the SEC and simplify it, right? I mean, even the great Mike Leach, uh, who threw the football all over the place at a bunch of different schools when he was at Washington State, just like 700 yards of passing in, in some games, right? Uh, all the stuff he did at Texas Tech uh, with Michael Crabtree, just all over the place comes to the SEC. It's like a 50-50 run-pass split. We've seen it happen time and time again. And last year, what I really, really got hopeful about this Volunteers team was I saw Josh Heupel come in, and it was none of that. It was the same offense that we have always seen him run. Yeah, it didn't feel like he had to really get off schedule with anything that they wanted to do, able to, you know, work schemes and different formations in against different teams, but, you know, never felt like Tennessee ever got out of their comfort zone with what they wanted to do, even trailing in games, you know. And, and, and one of the early examples that I felt like Tennessee – showed what they were going to try to do in the SEC was Missouri. When you hang 62 points on a team, you know, you, you have to have some things to go your way. And they had some defensive help go their way in that game as well. I think they had at least one pick six in that game. But still, regardless, Tennessee never changed pace. Still throwing quick hitters, still taking the deep shot, still running the same offense that they wanted to run. Quarterback run involved late in, you know, in the third quarter of that game. And, and I think part of that is it's when you look at what Josh Hopper wants to do with those quick hitters, when you're playing these teams in the SEC, you can't take your foot off the gas because if you get you know behind the chains a couple of times and have a couple of three and outs, and suddenly a game's right back to you know 
manageable. And for Tennessee, I don't think he had to really change anything from, from coming over to UCF. They felt like coming out of the spring, they were exactly where they wanted to be in terms of their install. And then they finished that up, you know, in the fall, continued to work where they had been time and time again. It wasn't probably as high-paced at Missouri as what it ended up getting to at UCF. You know, they, they really feel confident in what they do offensively and how they teach these guys and, and and giving these guys responsibility inside of the offense from the receivers to the running backs to the offensive line, you know, not just the quarterback. So I, I feel like Tennessee doesn't, you know, have to change a lot of things, but I think that Josh Hopple knows now in year two with a more developed quarterback and Hendon Hooker having more time to work with him, from the mental side of the game, he can do even more than what he did before. So we'll see what the offense looks like, you know, this fall. I don't expect it to change around a whole lot, but I think, you know, you can see Tennessee add more RPO looks and things like that into what they're looking to do. All right, Matt, what are realistic expectations for the Vols going into 2022? You know, uh, I'm, I'm, my readers will, readers will probably run me out of here for whatever I say if it's not a <laughs> perfect 15-0, and 0, but... um. You know, I think when you look at Tennessee's football schedule, you have a chance to start potentially 4-0, and you know, that's the, that's the ideal start. You have Ball State at home to open the season. You go to Pittsburgh, the defending ACC champion. It's a well-coached team. There's a lot of familiarity there between Josh Hopple and Pat Narduzzi, but you know, I think Tennessee feels like that's a, a very winnable game this time around. Come back home and play Akron in Florida – and, you know, you talk about streaks to Alabama and Georgia, but for Tennessee, they, they broke a streak a little while back against Florida, a 14-year streak at the time, 15-year streak at the time, and then they win one and they've lost five cents. You have to get over the Florida hump right here in year two as Josh Hopple. You can't let Billy Napier come to Knoxville and find a way to knock you off. So if, if you can do those things, you're sitting at 4-0 with LSU, Alabama, and Georgia left as your you know, tough as opponents. I'll never knock Kentucky out, but it feels like to me, if you're Tennessee, realistic expectations of getting to eight wins, eight to nine wins, and having a chance to get ten with a bowl win. I think that if you can do that, you can consider it a very solid step forward in year two for Josh Hopple. Because for for me, I have said this long before even Josh Hopple was hired. If that coaching search went on, whoever the coach is, I, I you know, giving the NCAA investigation and everything that went on up there, everything that had to be reset, you you really couldn't hold 2021 against anybody. Now, for Josh Hopple, it went you know as, as good as I think you could have expected. And in Tennessee fans' minds, that puts you ahead of schedule. But for me, I think if you're Tennessee with the way that you've managed the roster, you have a chance to win eight to nine games this year and, and get to ten even with a bowl win. And I think that's pretty reasonable expectation. I think it's going to be one of the more fun teams to watch coming up uh, in the 2022 season. Got a tough middle part of that schedule, but if they can manage it, uh, I think Tennessee fans are going to be in for a fun season. Matt Ray, uh, publisher there at Volunteer Country on SI.com. Matt, I appreciate the time, man. Look forward to talking to you uh, as we get closer to the start of the season. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, Christian. Again, Matt Ray joining us here on ESPN Radio. When we come back, we're going to catch up with Travis Jadon from Connect Savannah, getting closer and closer to the start of the high school football season. A ton of really talented quarterbacks in the city of Savannah. A lot of really good football teams in and around the area as well. We'll catch up with Travis next when we come back right here on Second Down. 
Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Two different locations in Savannah to take care of all of your uniform needs. We are right around the corner uh, from football season, NFL, college. You know we have been pounding that here on second down. But, you know, in my opinion, the most pure form of football is what you get to see on Friday nights. And we are lucky enough to live in an area of the country where I think pretty clearly have some of the highest quality high school football uh, being played right around us every Friday night and to take a look uh, at some of that football that we're going to see in the city of Savannah this year from Connect Savannah uh, and the Prep Sports Report. You can also hear him on the Hot Grits podcast. Travis Jadon joins us here. Travis, what's going on, man? Hey, Christian, what's going on? Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you coming on, and I know you, like me, follow every single sport there is out there. We need something to watch on the weekends, so if it's if it's Wimbledon, we'll watch Wimbledon. Uh, if it's golf, we'll watch golf. But our hearts and our just our love and our passion uh, re- re- resides on the gridiron, uh, I think is fair to say. So football season is our euphoria. Yeah, and high school football around here, man, it's, it's, there's a lot of exciting players and a lot of exciting teams and storylines. Um, and, and it seems like that that's been even more true over the last couple of seasons. Um, in this area with the success of, you know, the teams for sure, but the success of the individual players moving on to college and stuff. So getting to see them in high school is, you know, it's a real treat. So in your mind, what are those biggest storylines going in uh, to the 2022 season? Because I know a ton of really cool young talent uh, getting to start off in Savannah this year that we're going to see that maybe we haven't seen before, but also a ton of returning talent. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to, to, I mean, obviously always watching BC and tracking what they do. Um, they're coming off of a state title, so I think they have high expectations. Again, this season, they're, they're going from Holden Gurner to Luke Kromenhauk, and I still have to work on pronouncing that last name. But um, they're We going can do from it right now if you want to. Out. <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me. Crow, Min, Hawk. Crominhawk. Yeah, just like a crow, that a man, and Crum- a hawk. Crominhawk? Yep, you got it. I like that. You were already putting in work early. Let's get it. <laughs> so they're going from one Power 5 quarterback basically to another one immediately. Um, and, and Danny Brayton Company will have three seasons of him. Um, he's already committed to Florida State. So I think that's obviously where you start. And then you go over to Calvary and, and look at what they, they're building um, and kind of what their, you know, what their MO is, is that they've got talent all over the field, but they're going to start and finish with what Jake Merklinger can do at quarterback. So I think, you know, that, that's, those are the two teams I think are obviously the best in the area um, this season. Um, but there's also other teams that people are interested in. New Hampstead is one. Richmond Hill moving up to Class 7A is another. Um, and then I, I guess one more storyline, Christian, would be, the region three three a the addition of the private school trio into that region um, is is really going to be I think shocking to a lot of people early on in football season who may not realize that that's happening. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I know there's been a lot of arguments, and it really hits in the city of Savannah, uh, maybe more so than a lot of the other parts of the state. But there have been conversations uh, from a lot of schools about trying to put the private schools in their own. I guess, classification inside the GHSA or just have them break away entirely. And like I said, I think that means a little bit more in Savannah than it does in other parts because you have 20 
public schools to one private school in a lot of other parts of the state. But in Savannah, you got a ton of private schools that are competing with the public schools for some of these kids. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, they're competing for the same kids. It's like you said, they're competing for the same kids. So I don't know that I would think it would benefit anyone for them to not be competing in the same division or the same, you know, ruling class, the GHSA in, in this, um, you know, in this situation. But I, I think it is interesting to, to monitor what private schools are able to do that the public schools simply are not able to do. And by not able, I don't mean with money or finances or anything like that. I mean, not allowed to do based off of, you know, you have to have kids that live in your district if you're a public school. Um, and that's just not the case if you're a private school. So that's a built-in advantage right there. And so I don't know long-term how much longer it'll be, you know, separated, but I'm, I'm certainly grateful that the private schools are not in this area, at least are not moving towards uh, playing amongst themselves only. No live tour for the uh, private schools coming up uh, in the state of Georgia <laughs> anytime soon, apparently. But uh, you put out a story very recently here about a couple of players from Savannah, uh, one a basketball player and one a, fo- a football player, that have moved on uh, out of the city of Savannah to, I guess, further their athletic career and their ac- academic career, but really uh, solely for the purpose of, of getting a bigger platform for themselves in their athletic career. Larry Johnson, uh, the basketball player there, and Donovan Johnson, a uh, running back uh, out of Calvary Day that has a ton of offers right now uh, but has decided to go to IMG Academy. Yeah, I did. And, I, and look, that was interesting for me. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago, um, and that column is on ConnectSavannah.com. Uh, I think that monitoring those two guys, Larry Johnson, the rising junior basketball star at Beach, and then the rising sophomore, Donovan Johnson, who, as you said, has an offer from just about everyone in the world uh, in, co- you know, in terms of college football. Both of those guys choosing to move on and the reasons that they gave really fascinated me. And I think it hints at something that's becoming more and more uh, popular and more and more common these days is that kids aren't really concerned with winning a state championship anymore. It's just not as much of a priority. Now, that's not every kid. That's not every, you know, that's not the only route, but that's becoming more and more common that something that Larry Johnson said struck me. He said that when he was at beach, he wasn't ever really thinking about winning a state title. He was thinking about getting to the next level. And he said that he was thinking about what was best for himself. And look, it sounds a little selfish, but maybe there's some of that that has to be done on the player's level in order to get themselves noticed and get themselves to the next level. But to have two guys leave the city like that in such a short period of time um, and for very similar reasons, uh, you know, was kind of a blow to a lot of people that, that track high school athletics around here. Yeah, and I know those two happening back-to-back has to hurt, and there's kind of a pipeline uh, from Savannah to IMG Academy. Uh, we've also seen some other basketball players move out of the state uh, to go. And listen, there's just – We've all heard about IMG Academy because, for the most part, people follow high school recruiting more heavily than any other sports recruiting. But there's a ton of different, quote-unquote, prep schools around the country that go out and recruit just so they can get a player for one or two years before they go off to college. But we've seen that happen. But, man, I feel like the trajectory and the competitiveness of Savannah high school sports has actually been rising 
uh, very recently, right? I mean, just a couple years ago, we saw Jenkins get to a semifinals with one of the better high school defenses we've seen in a long time. BC just won a state championship in football. The baseball team's pretty much been there every year uh, since then. I got to feel like the overall quality uh, of athletes that they're putting out and just the performance on the field is, is increasing. Yeah, yeah. And don't forget on the basketball court that they had basically 75% of the right. Elite Eight from Savannah um, in region or in Class 3A. Um, so, and that's all just from this season. I, I do think that it's important, and I agree with you, I think that the level is rising. Um, whether or not people like the um, Larry Johnson and Donovan Johnson leave or not, I think the talent level is rising. Um, and I think it's super important, Christian, and I, I'm curious to see if you agree with me. It's super important for guys like Holden Gariner to show that there is a way. Like, you don't have to leave the city. You don't have to leave town to get to where you want to get to. Um, there's plenty of paths, I think, to get to Power 5 college football and power five college basketball from the city of Savannah. You don't have to leave and go to IMG or Huntington prep to do that. And in fact, you could win a state title and get that. And so they're not mutually exclusive. You can, you can win and get to the next level at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go any further than West Virginia's wide receiver depth chart last year, right? You had Sam Brown, Sam James <laughs> yeah. and Winston Wright, all from the city of Savannah playing for a power five uh, football team, all at the same position. I mean, you got, uh, at Jenkins is for some reason I don't know like if they're feeding kids something different I, I I almost literally walked into the saying I don't know if they're feeding them something different on Duren but <laughs> but the defensive linemen that they've put out over the past few years are ridiculous and they have a couple more Tavian Gatson we just talked to him uh, a couple weeks ago right and he's got offers from everybody in the world as a defensive lineman so yeah I, mean, I agree with you I don't I think you see a guy like holding Garner, right? Where it's the it's the dude you see on Instagram every day, right? Where you're like, this quarterback has has thrown for this many yards and has won this many things and has offers from all of this, and you just you don't really see them around this area too much. It was I think him having the buildup of him being at BC since he was a freshman and moving up, playing behind his brother, but then you get a bunch of years of having him and getting to watch him in the city. I think that yeah, I think that was a huge benefit. And then the guys, uh, the Barry Klein Peters behind him. You mentioned the Jake Merklinger, uh, Polly Seeley all the different quarterbacks that are springing up in and around Savannah. I know one of the guys I have on my show with me, you know him very well, Javante Middleton kind of maybe was at the forefront of that before he went to the Citadel. But yeah, just it's been – you consistently see it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that parents now uh, are investing in their kids. I know some people maybe don't inherently love like the seven-on-seven seven stuff or the training stuff. But if you're going to get to the next level, for the most part, you're going to have to put in work – outside of just practicing for half the year. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Christian. I do think that it's like there is some of the thought that if you're good enough, they will find you. Like you're not going to really get lost in the shuffle nowadays. But, yeah, you have to – like you can't not, you know, do that kind of thing. The seven-on-seven seven thing is like there's a lot of stuff off the field that people are unhappy with and sort of what happens – during seven-on-seven affecting what happens during the fall. Um, You know, I don't know how deep into that we want to get, but, like, there's a lot of things off the field, seven-on-seven, that rubs people the wrong way. On the field, it can only benefit you. I mean, to be in front of other college coaches and to be around other good high school players can only benefit you. Um, And so you you see the same thing in basketball with AAU um as well so dude, i think this this football season though there's plenty plenty to be excited about for people in this area um 
and especially people that are that are into good quarterback play because I think Merklinger, you already said Pauly Seeley, um, and then obviously Luke Cromenhawk at BC. Nailed it. At that pronunciation, right? Nailed it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun season in and around uh, the city, and I just I just think the quality of football. I don't know if people give it uh, enough credit. I mean, even like expanding outside of Savannah, right? The the Effinghams play a good brand of football. You're going down uh, McIntosh and Darian, right? They've, since Bradley Warren has come back, uh, have been a really good football program. Obviously, uh, what Sean Pender and Rocky Hidalgo did down uh, in the Brunswick area, right? And now Garrett Grady uh, at Brunswick. It's, just, it's high quality football up and down the coast. And I think it's going to be really exciting uh, to see these teams get out there and get after it. And I, I don't know if there's a state champion, that's currently brewing uh, in and around this area, but I know there's a lot of deep playoff runs coming. All right, Travis, before we let you go, though, you've been pretty outspoken uh, on Twitter about this situation. Give me your take about Freddie Freeman crying 17 times uh, this past weekend. Well, look, I just think Freddie Freeman deserves a lot of credit for manipulating an entire fan base, an entire <laughs> city, uh, for the large part, an entire media core. Uh, the charades that he put on, on Friday in that media room walking in and out of the room with his hands over his face, crying uh, as if, you know, all of this was out of his hands and, and that he was dealt a bad hand. Uh, if Freddie Freeman wanted to be treated that way in Atlanta, he should have signed a contract with Atlanta. He could have signed a contract. He could have stayed in Atlanta. If he wanted to be treated that way in Atlanta, he could have stayed. And for, for all of the tears and all of that stuff, it, it just amazes me. Christian, even when he gets thrown out Sunday night running home in a rundown, they find a way to make it a positive thing to where Freddie Freeman did a good thing by staying in the rundown long enough to get the runner over to second base. I mean, they, they will find anything to make this guy positive. I'm sick of it. I'm so glad that that series is done. Okay, Travis, let me ask you if you have seen this because I may be throwing a wrinkle into your take here. Did you see the latest news regarding Freddie Freeman? Oh, no. Did something happen this afternoon? Yes, 30 minutes ago. No way. He set me up. Per Buster Olney, Freddie Freeman oh. has dismissed his representation. He is currently listed <laughs> as self-represented because reportedly of how his negotiate, contract negotiations were handled. Well, that's even better because now he's manipulating an, an agent and ruining a man's career uh, because he didn't sign with Atlanta. He wants to blame it on the agent now. That's beautiful. Beautiful. So it's all Freddie's fault. It's all his facade. Well, no, I think he wants he he knows he made a mistake. And like he made a mistake. He wants to be in Atlanta. And now he's showing it. But like to hold that over the fans' head or to make it to be where he can have the best of both worlds, he can sign with LA, get the money he wanted, get exactly what he wanted, and then also get exactly what he wanted from the Atlanta fan base. You can't have it both ways. I think it's fair. And I think I think the reality is the enticement of the money, the enticement of moving back home, being around his dad again. Uh, and sometimes people just get enticed by change, right? You do something for 15 years, you maybe want to try something new. I think all of that, and then he got smacked with reality, which is he's just another dude in Los Angeles, right? I mean, they chew stars up and spit them out out there. I'm not saying Freddie Freeman is not an amazing baseball player. He is, but he's just another dude in Los Angeles. They'll They'll burn through those one after another, he was face of the franchise, beloved in Atlanta, and I think maybe that's kind of what really hit him these past couple weeks. 
Yeah, and I think maybe he realizes, like, for every for the trajectory he was on, he'll never be Chipper Jones, or he'll never he'll never be that guy in Atlanta now. And that's, I mean, I think he can blame it on his agent all he wants, but he's a he's a grown man, he's a professional athlete. Uh, he could have made it very clear to his representation that he wanted to stay there forever if that's what he wanted. Um, so I don't feel bad for him. Uh, I do feel bad for the media that has to watch him cry like that often. It, it's it's pretty brutal. <laughs> I wonder if it'll happen every time he comes back to Truist. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, hopefully, I, I am praying that those teams uh, match up in the postseason again because that's just become one of my favorite things to watch in sports. <laughs> Travis, you're done. Kind of let's take some time with us here. Travis, I appreciate it, man. Uh, i got to talk more uh, as we get closer to football season. All right. Thanks, Christian. Again, you can follow uh, Travis on Twitter, a uh, host of the Hot Grits podcast, writer for Connect Savannah and the Prep Sports Report. we got more to come here on Second Down. We'll be back after this. Appreciate Matt Ray from Volunteer Country joining us a little bit earlier, talking about Tennessee and what the projections are like uh, for the volunteers coming up in 2022. Josh Heupel entering his second year. I think fun things in store for the volunteers, but it's a former Tennessee head coach uh, that's talking about the dogs here in the news today. Jeremy Pruitt, former Tennessee head football coach, also a former member of Georgia's defensive staff, been with Alabama, been all over the place. He joined the On the Beat podcast uh, with Dog Nation and said Georgia has a not-so-secret weapon heading into 2022 to avoid a letdown, right? We've seen it before from national champions, right, where they win the national championship and next year, I don't want to say a disappointment, but they, they, they fall off and don't reach back up to that same kind of level, right? We have seen the catastrophic fall-offs like what happened with LSU, uh, what happened with Auburn uh, after they won with Cam Newton, right? Coaches fired one, two years after winning a national championship. Jeremy Pruitt shared why he doesn't believe that's in store for Georgia, and the answer is very simple. Kirby Smart. Now, it may sound obvious, but I think the reasoning he gives behind it is pretty sound. So Jeremy Pruitt, again, uh, on the on the beat podcast with Dog Nation said people don't realize the advantage Georgia has by having Kirby Smart. After you win a national championship, it's so hard. Everybody has relief syndrome. It's a new year, so the guys that made all SEC or all American the past year, nobody cares. It's time to do it all over again. And Kirby has been through that a couple of times as an assistant coach. He has seen what has happened and knows the pitfalls and the mistakes that can happen the following year, and I think that's going to be key for Georgia this year. I find that fascinating because the biggest thing everyone's looking at for Georgia coming up is how do you replace all the talent lost, right? Jeremy Pruitt, I think, understands what the reality is, is whether or not they went in the first round, fifth round, seventh round, undrafted, whatever, those guys were gone. Right, it doesn't matter how talented they were; those guys were gone. That's the reality of college football, right? You have guys for three, four years, and unless you're Stetson Bennett, then you have them for six, seven years. But you are always going to have a talent turnover, and the advantage advantage Georgia has is they have a guy who's in the head seat, who has been at the gold standard program before, right? He's been with Alabama as they have won multiple national championships. We've won four. Uh, on the staff there with Nick Saban. So he has seen what the following year looks like after you win a national championship. Now, Alabama's had some fall-offs before, right? After they won their first national championship, they won, they lost three games the following year, right? 
but he's been there and he's identified some of the things that, hey, here's maybe why this happened. And if he didn't identify it and it was Nick Saban and his brilliance identifying it, Kirby Smart was sure as hell there right next to him kind of absorbing that stuff and, and taking mental notes because he's always wanted to be in the position that he's in now. So having Kirby Smart as the guy running the program, I think is a massive advantage. And I agree with Jeremy Pruitt here to keep Georgia relevant, right? You're not going to have the one and then you're irrelevant for another four or five years before you come back up uh, and can get yourself back into the national conversation. Somebody's going to have to beat Georgia to win the national championship this year. I think I just think that's reality, whether it's Alabama in the SEC championship or whether Georgia gets to the college football playoff again, Georgia's a good enough team that somebody's going to have to beat them to win the national championship. And I think a big reason why they are going to be able to keep going at that level is the head man. Now he surrounded himself with some really good coaches, right? Will Muschamp, uh, one of the best defensive minds in college football. Uh, I think we've all seen the benefit of having a Todd Munkin. I read something today that I didn't realize. Georgia averaged the most yards per play in the SEC last year, even more than Alabama and Tennessee and all those other amazing offenses. Georgia's offense averaged more yards per play than any of those teams. So Todd Munkin's done a hell of a job. I think Georgia's offense could be a whole lot of fun coming up uh, in 2022. But again, avoiding the pitfalls, Avoiding just the complacency, right? I remember last year at SEC Media Days, Sam Pittman, Georgia's former offensive line coach, now the head football coach at Arkansas, said or was asked what it was like coaching with Kirby Smart and what he learned uh, from him that he has brought as a head coach. And he said, at Georgia, every decision is fourth and one, whether the exact words he used, right? Every decision from what the lighting you're going to use in the locker room to what kind of amenities you're going to get to the turf that you use, right, to the uniforms, to the equipment, to the recruits that you're going after, to the coaching decisions, to the social media department, every decision is fourth and one because they wanted to win that first national championship in 40 years. Now that they have that national championship, I don't believe that mentality changes, and I think Georgia is going to be a problem coming up in 2022 for a lot of football teams. My opinion, I'll leave it 11-1 or 12-0 in the regular season, and then it's any, anybody's guess what happens after that, but that's going to be a really good football team coming up this year we got to take a quick break we'll come back get you ready for three and out next right here on espn radio this is second down on espn radio christian gokel glad to have you hanging out with us here again appreciate matt ray uh from volunteer country joining us earlier to start the show breaking down tennessee heading in to this coming season also travis jadon from connect savannah taking a look at high school football around the city of savannah appreciate them for hopping on the program also have three and out coming up next. Ben Troop and Kevin Thomas breaking down the Freddie Freeman news. In case you missed it a little bit earlier, Freddie Freeman has parted ways with his agent uh, after he said he was angry with the way it was handled and his desire to stay in Atlanta was not met. So, again, depending on how you feel about the situation, as Travis said, if he wanted to be in Atlanta, he'd be in Atlanta. Uh, Sounded like there may be more to that, uh, more to the story. Maybe his agent did something without uh, his prior knowledge, and that kind of forced Alex Anthopoulos' hands and pulling the trigger on Matt Olson. And then at that point, Freddie Freeman had to sign with the Dodgers. So who knows? Or maybe this weekend was just such an emotional wreck that Freddie Freeman said, listen, dude, you, you got to go. But as of right now, Freddie Freeman representing himself. The Braves start a six-game road trip tonight. Uh, they'll be taking on the Philadelphia Phillies for three up there and 
Right now, the Braves currently five back of the New York Mets. Tonight, a really cool pitching matchup. You get Charlie Morton, who's finding his groove a little bit here uh, this season against Zach Wheeler, who has a sub three ERA right now, and it's just typically a Braves killer. So an awesome matchup coming up tonight uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies in the Atlanta Braves. We'll have all the coverage starting for you right here on ESPN Radio following three and out. If you miss any portion of the show, you can check it out wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow.